Welcome to episode 006 of the Authority Nation podcast. My guest this time around is Lisa Evans, certified speaking professional, TEDx speaker coach, business storytelling expert, and four times author, known as a story midwife. I came from the mud, to the Authority Nation podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Kev. It's awesome to be here. It's it's great to connect with you. Um, let's get straight into it. You were born in England. I was in London. London, e- East London. Is that correct? That's right. Born in E17, home of the largest greyhound track in in London, and uh, had a fabulous upbringing. Always knew that I wanted to be a nurse. So as soon as I was able, 17 and a half, I started my nurse training, and loved it. And then after that, I went on to become a midwife. So an extra year and a half's training went on to become a midwife. And then I specialised and became a neonatal intensive care midwife. High tech, challenging, demanding area of nursing. But I absolutely loved it. And I felt at quite a young age that I'd found my, my calling. This was my, this was my calling. Wow. And, and that was in London. You were in London at that that's stage? Right. Okay. That's right. That's yeah, right. So I'd done my, my training and this was going to be my forever, forever job. And with the dream jo- job came the opportunity to travel. I answered an ad in the newspaper. Do you remember when jobs used to be in newspapers? <laughs> a 12-week uh, working holiday contract to Australia. So I thought, well, that can't be bad. And I set off from London with a small backpack and a lonely planet guide because it was only meant to be for 12 weeks. And that was 31 years ago. So it turns out to be a very long working holiday. Pretty, uh, pretty hard to resist, but 12 weeks working overseas. So that was in Perth, because you're based in Perth now. No, that was yeah. in Sydney. Originally, was in Sydney. I was recruited okay. to, to be a nurse in, in, in Sydney. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. And so, so at the end of the 12 weeks, or nearly at the end of the 12 weeks, what happened? I was like, hey, it's nearly time to go back. I was already, I, in, I was already in love with Australia, so there's no way I was going back. Okay. I wanted to travel. I wanted to just to see the place, and I, that was it. I was pretty sold on, on Australia then. Wow. And had you, what sort of age, we, had you met your husband then? No, like, no, okay. I'd come over purely by myself adventurous, at that yeah. time, yeah, adventurous, and I uh, didn't meet my husband until I uh, decided to take a significant period of time off work, jump on a greyhound bus and do the round Australia hop on, hop off thing. Sounds like lyrics to a song. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I was with my brother at the time who'd come over, he's quite a bit younger than me, and he'd come over and we'd bought this greyhound pass and we were off on our adventures. And when we got to Perth, we ran out of money and I was the only one with the capacity to do any work. So we stopped in in Perth um, for a bit and uh, I got a job in a coffee shop and did some extra work and and we stayed in the youth hostel there. And that's when I met my my husband. He's also English. He was doing a similar thing with his sister actually. Oh wow, okay. Interesting. And you were travelling with your brother? Yeah. yeah. Brother went okay. home, his sister went home, yeah. we kind of connected, but he was at the beginning of his one year. He bought an old bashed up Holden and drove around uh, Australia, but we'd made a good uh, connection and uh, stayed in touch through that period of time and went on to get married. Great stuff. And so then you settled in Perth? 
job at the the main hospital or one yeah, of the main hospitals? Yeah, worked at a variety of, okay. of big teaching hospitals specialising in neonatal intensive care, yeah. Why the change in career? So you loved what you were doing, so why the change in career? Sort yeah, of? loved what I was doing and uh, really enjoyed the, the, the career and, and didn't imagine doing anything else. And one day in 2005, I woke up, the room was spinning, I fell to the ground, couldn't even lift my head. Felt like my worst hangover ever, but there hadn't been a drop of alcohol. I had this terrible whooshing sound, and that's all I could hear. It felt like I was sort of under, deep underwater. Um, very scary thing that was happening to me. Turns out that a virus destroyed pretty much most of my hearing, all my hearing on one side, significant amount of hearing on the other side and I was told that it was permanent and there was nothing that could be done. Earth-shattering news. Earth-shattering news yeah. and you know, then came the reality that it was no longer safe or practical to work in the only career that I'd ever had. So I had to walk away from that. And that was a very, very tough time because not only did I love my career, but then that threw up all those questions of, well, what am I going to do for the rest of my working life? Um, I'm over 40. Who's even going to employ me? Am I ever going to be able to, to get a job? And yeah, I was feeling pretty sorry for myself. And you know, I'd ask myself over again, you know, why, why me? You know, what have I done to, to deserve yeah. this? So it was a big a big knock in, in my self-confidence and uh, really just sort of struggle with what what comes next. So you're searching, you're filled with anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of doubt. How did you make the road towards professional speaker training? Yeah, yeah so I went back to uni, did an yeah. MBA, got a job in the... In the just a um, casual MBA? Yeah, yeah. got a okay. job in the public, um, public service and geez, uh, that was, uh, that was even worse, you know, far worse than the physical assault on my body. This was a, a, a culture of, it was a toxic workplace. Mm. Bullying behaviour was rife. I'd never experienced bullying in my life and here I was in a workplace that was unsafe, unhealthy and I became the, the target of this bullying behaviour and that pretty much destroyed me. Mm. So I was in this, you know, not only a complete change of, of career, like a fish out of water from frontline critical care, nursing, life or death decision, teamwork, to this whole big machine of the public service, which was really not, not good at all. Uh, it, was at, it was at this low point when I met a, a chap called Professor Rajan, who is a leading expert in hearing technology. Mm -hmm. I shared with him my story. He shared with me his research trial, and he invited me to take part on his trial and um, get the amazing gift of a cochlear implant. So that was the beginning of a whole new journey for me, a new journey in learning to hear in a very different way because the cochlear implant's not plug and play. You've got to retrain the brain using new neural pathways in order to hear again in a very different way. And of course, wow. if you can't hear properly, you can't speak properly either. And it was a huge commitment to rehabilitate using the device. It's a long process and a lot of, of commitment. How, how long did that take, like the, the process, learning to retrain? Oh, to actually make sense. So when I first got the device and it was, it was switched on, it wasn't even... It was just a noise. It wasn't a decipherable sound at all. It didn't sound human. It was just this noise. And gradually, over many, many hours of working intensively with the rehab team, I would then make sense of, a, okay, it's a, it's a human sound. 
Um, maybe it's a male, maybe it's a female. That sort of came later, but it was just sort of a sound, a bit like a Dalek, a Dalek sound. And then gradually I could make sense of a, a sound and then a syllable and then a word and then two words it's and amazing. then a sentence. It's a very long process. So, and this is now, it, it's out of trials now? It's now a mainstream treatment or...? Uh, it's always been a mainstream treatment, but this was a particular research trial for a particular type of, of, of deafness. I, okay. I believe the trial did, did go well. So doing this rehabilitation, I remember having a discussion with Prof Rajan about my eligibility or suitability to be on the trial because it is a lot of work and a big commitment. And, and he said something to me like this, you know, he said, look, there's far more people out there who could do with being on this trial. I've only got so many places. So and if I give you the gift of the cochlear implant, you know, how are you going to share that gift with others? And I was like, whoa, you know, what, what's he talking about? Well, maybe I can become a better listener, you know. So I thought that was my, my, my role. And it was only in more recent years that I've realised that um, in, in losing my hearing, I've discovered my voice. That was actually a, a bit of a tagline that um, a radio interviewer gave me. Um, and and that's, that's my gift. It, it's, it's, um, I found my voice and I empower others to do the same. So it's part of this rehabilitation process. I was spending a lot of time listening, a lot of time articulating words, sounding out words, practicing speaking that I got interested in public speaking I thought I'm going to explore this and I also needed to rebuild this confidence that I that I'd lost mm -hmm. through this through this workplace so I started to explore options with, with public speaking got hooked decided I wanted to learn everything about speaking and presenting and, and storytelling we've always been a storyteller I grew up without TV in the early years and I started to pursue that path and I just decided that I wanted to be the best that I possibly could so I sought out trainers and mentors from around the, the world and started started training wow. yeah and just absolutely loved it and realized that uh, you know I meet so many people who have got a voice that's not heard or they've got a story that's never been told because they either don't think that anyone's interested in their story or they are shy or afraid to get it out there for fear of judgment or whatever and of course public speaking is a massive fear that many people have so I thought well this is now how I can continue to bring new life into the world but this time in the form of stories so I became known as the story midwife which is a, a tagline that one of my clients gave me when he said hey you know what did you used to do before you became a speaker and I said oh I was a midwife and he said well, what does a midwife do the young guy and I told him he's like oh so now you're the story midwife and the I thought, story midwife that's Love pretty it. cool so you yeah. know helping to bring my own stories but also other people's stories into the world and, and I love being on stage which is um, you know I'm an introvert but I love being on stage but what I love more is being backstage empowering others mm. to step up and share their stories and I'm holding that space and being the the midwife and nurturing them coaching them along to be able to do that essentially bringing them out of their show almost bringing birthing their confidence yeah, yeah. And, and it's an okay. empowering thing sharing your your story yeah. and the gift in your story that can help others what excites you most about the entire process so you know when you first get uh, a client or, or someone you're training what, what excites you most is it that moment before they go out on stage 
stage or you know what part of the process is it? I think it starts earlier than that mm -hmm. it starts earlier than that when they come and they either have um, self-doubt or fear or lack of confidence about speaking maybe it's their business that they really want to grow their business and they want to build their their brand and they know that speaking needs to be part of that but they either um, haven't had any training or haven't had any skills or think that they're not good enough or um, um, they just need some some help and training around that so I, I, like, I mean I meet people f at all stages uh, of, of their of their um, some professional speakers some brand new but what I like most is working with people when I've got a blank canvas. Mm -hmm. So they come in and we create their story together through various story mining techniques that I that I have and, and tools and we map out their, their story and I work with them on the, the techniques and, and the tools which includes you know vocal techniques, structure techniques, story framework, stagecraft, the whole the whole lot. And then if it yeah, if it culminates in a in a keynote or nailing a pitch presentation, you know, getting the funding or winning the award, then that's great, you know, I'm cheering them on behind the yeah. behind the scenes. It's a really good feeling. And I, and I find that when I help them and I empower them in upskilling, in, in speaking and presenting, you know, obviously there's so much more, there's body language, there's presence, there's charisma, there's a lot to it, that it helps them in so many other areas in their life. You know, they're, they're now able to clearly and confidently articulate mm. what they do, what they what they stand for, what huge. they're about. Yeah. And I meet so many people who really, you know, have got so much value to share. They're smart, they're intelligent, they've got a business title, you know, they've got all that experience and wisdom, but not able to get it out in mm. a clear and compelling way, in a way that others care about. Because we are in this busy world where people tune out quickly, we're attached to our devices. So if you can't cut through that noise and be able to share what you do or what you offer in a soundbite, as you would know, that's it. You've lost. You've yeah. lost them. They're on to the next person. So it's definitely a skill for life. I wish they wouldn't call them soft skills because they are essential skills. I and think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 How did TEDx become involved with you or did they, did they reach out to you or did you reach out to yeah, them? Yes, so I'm or? a volunteer TEDx speaker yeah. coach, so uh, the majority of people who work on TEDx are, are volunteers mm -hmm. and they reached out to me and asked would I become one of the speaker coaches, which I've now done for five years, working wow. with um, a couple of, you know, two to three speakers each year, helping them to prepare for a big, the, probably the biggest audience in their life. We have 1,800 people, almost 2,000 people at the Perth TEDx. So wow. it's a big, big audience and help them prepare both the mindset as well as the, the message and the and the delivery. Mm. Mm. What's been your biggest win with a speaker? My biggest win has been, um, I really loved working with an amazing uh, scientist called Dr. Michael Robertson, who's the head of CSIRO and Digital Agriculture team, I believe, I hope I've got that right. And he got chosen to do a, a TED talk. And um, he'd always, um, his fallback had been the traditional, you know, academic style of, of presenting his sites, which was kind of interesting to his peers, perhaps but maybe not the diverse audience of, of TEDx. And when I asked him, you know, what you talk about, and he, he told me, he sort of went into the, the technology and the research behind this amazing device that he'd created, um, I said to him, yeah, that's interesting, but 
how about we, uh, we put that to the side and we, we create a story together, thinking that he'd say, I'm an academic, I'm a scientist, you know, I don't do stories, exactly. I do numbers. And he went, yeah, let's do it. I was like, oh, this is really exciting. And he gave me the tagline of turning scientists into storytellers. He tells people that that's, that's my superpower. <laughs> I was like, awesome. And he did an amazing, he did an amazing uh, TED, TEDx talk. We created a very simple story where he was not the hero. Yeah. He, he and his team were not the heroes. They were the, the mentors and the guides. And the real hero of the story was a, a, the farmer in Africa who, who he helps um, to do her farming in a different way. And when I went back to see him a little while later, he told me that um, he got some very, very good uh, feedback on, on his talk and he's changed his whole presentation style. He uses a lot of props and he uses a lot of sort of animation and definitely he uses storytelling. So Michael's one that really does um, stick in, in my mind. And there are many others. Yeah. They're all special. Yeah. All special. Let's... let's um Let's dive a little deeper into why you would why you would recommend that we don't become the hero of our own stories when we're speaking on stage or when we're yeah, talking to people or pitching people. Just um, some value for uh, the people out there in podcast yeah, land. Yeah. yeah, so the hero's journey is a, a wonderful, a wonderful uh, structure. Mm -hmm. um, but in the business storytelling sense, uh, a good business story has to have a purpose. There has to be a strategy. You know, we're not just uh, sitting around having a beer around the campfire sharing a story. That's nice, but that's not business storytelling. Yes. So we need to have a clear purpose, a reason why we're sharing that story, what's our strategy, and we need to have a, a structure as well. And we, and we have those characters, those main characters and I um, I've seen I've seen it done in a variety of different ways and there's really no right or wrong way but I suggest that you don't cast yourself in the role of the hero in the business story your business your service your product your offering is the mentor of the story that's the character the mentor the guru the guide all those words are interchangeable but i like the word mentor and in the early part of the story where we have our struggle without struggle there's no story we always have that that big challenge and that conflict and that obstacle that the main character somewhat stuck mm. towards the beginning of the story and they're not getting where they want to be um, because of whatever is getting in their way and along comes the mentor, which is your product or your service or your business, and there's an exchange that takes place. You know, it might be a, a showing them how to create a video, or it might be you know giving them the tools or the tips. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that meeting of the mentor, there is a transformation that takes place. So the, the, the main character or the hero then goes along their way, having experienced this tra transformation and got their goal in life, but you have been really you know, the pivotal in that journey as, as the mentor. So when you're sharing a, a business story, you know, you're, you're setting up your, your hero as you know, the person um, who is the amazing one who's done this journey and, and you're, the, you're the humble guide. It, it just sounds much better. It's more relatable yeah. to people. You're still able to talk about how you've helped somebody, but uh, I, I prefer that. Yeah, it, it certainly sounds good. Do you have uh, like an easy structure to follow, like a five-part system or...? 
something like that you can I share do. with people? Yeah. I do. I have five C's of okay. compelling storytelling and my C's are context, yeah. challenge, choice, change and carry out. Okay. Yeah. And that, that's from the start through to the end? That's you, right. Okay. That's from the start to the end, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can I whisk through them? Yes. Okay, yeah. so context is set in the scene. Mm -hmm. And we want to do that briefly. We don't want to spend too much time doing this. A lot of people kind of, you know, get bogged down in the detail early on. So a short, simple line, who, what, when, is, is enough. Okay. Because we need to get right into that challenge. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you think about uh, when you watch CSI... Okay. How does it start? Yeah, there's a you know the white chalks on the pavement. And yeah, the exactly. Like, Whoa, we, you know, soundtrack like, comes yeah, in. Yeah, we, we yeah. don't start off with the and then this happened and then it was Monday or oh, was it Tuesday? No, we get straight into mm. the. So we want to get into the the challenge early on, and we want to spend some time explaining the challenge and and how that is for um, the 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 character, uh, and there's and a bit about their struggle. Mm -hmm. Then we introduce the the mentor, and we talk about the meeting of the the mentor and what exchange takes place. And then we have the wonderful transformation. So we then need to uh, describe how the hero of the story is very different than they were at the beginning of their journey when they were stuck and they were in their struggle. We talk about the transformation and how their life is different. So that's the change part. Yep. What, what do you think, just before we carry on with that, what do you think that resonates with people? Do you think on some level we're all looking to change and so that story draws them in I think so yeah I mean life is all about navigating change isn't it and overcoming hurdles and challenges and you know change is just thrown at us constantly and it's how we navigate that and how we transform I mean there's the point of the story like sort of at the tip of the arc where the mentor is introduced and um, I, I call it choice because mm -hmm. the, the main character has that choice of well, they, they can either stay stuck in their conflict and challenge or they can accept the offer of help from the yeah. mentor and they move forward. But of course in the world of storytelling, if there's a no, uh, uh, no I'm not accepting your help, well that's the end of the story. We don't complete the story arc. Exactly. Yeah, Great. yeah. So from there, so the... So we've got the, the change, which is the okay. transformation. How are they different? And then um, I believe that the golden nugget of the story is the final C, which I call the carry out. This is the take out message. You know, this is from this experience that you've been through, whether you are the main character or the hero, you're the mentor. You know, what have you learned that you can then share with others? What's been that, you know, insight, that, that pearl of wisdom, that you can then share with, with others. And you can be, you don't need to, um, sometimes I find uh, sort of inexperienced speakers will like whack people around the head with the takeout message. I go, now what you need to take out from this today is. Right, and right. and we, don't, we, we don't ever tell people what they should and shouldn't take mm. away from our message because we all take something different out of it. But you might finish off to wrap it up by saying something like, um, you know, what I learned from that experience is, and then just share what you learned from that experience. And, uh, you know, the way I look at speaking from stage is, look, if you've touched one life in the audience, then you've done a good job that day. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. Lisa, um, we're almost out of time. Uh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you're doing? Uh, there's a website or...? Yes, yeah. I've got a website which is www.speakingsavvy.com.au. I'm on LinkedIn, 
LinkedIn's another good place. And on Instagram, I'm the story midwife. Great stuff. There you go. Check Lisa out, a wealth of knowledge. Uh, we've uh, been catching up for a couple of days and I highly recommend you uh, reach out to her if you're looking at getting some speaker training. Thanks for coming on the Authority Podcast. Thank you. I hope you got some value from our conversation. If you haven't already, secure your free business profile listing on authority.co.nz.